Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John is going to be a hard book to find in the Bible. It's almost at the very end. If you, It's not the Gospel of John, but there are three books over right before the book of the Revelation. Last book in the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Go to the end and just turn back a few pages and you'll find it. I've been doing a sermon series called Love Life. What does love have to do with it? And it's not um, about your marriage or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. It's, it's not about that. It's about that love is the center of the Christian life. And 1 John walks us through that. And so 1 John, we, we've learned this, that God loves us. In 1 John, we've learned that we are supposed to love one another. That's the most talked about theme in 1 John. And then we learned that we are to love God next. And then we, last week we talked about what we are not supposed to love. That's my favorite sermon title yet, I Hate Myself for Loving You. Courtesy of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. And so, uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. So we learned last week what not to love. And so today, I'm going to finish out the sermon series. And I'm going to borrow another song title from the 80s. And I'm going to say, here's the sermon, Why Can't This Be Love? Because we're going to close out this sermon series in chapter 4 where God is talking about really mature love. There's sometimes we bring something to God and we call it love, but it's not really love. And then at the end of days, th- there's going to be this, this, um, this idea of did we really love God? Like I can say it, but one of these days I'm going to stand before God and he's going to reveal it. How can I know what's going to happen on that day? How, do I, how can I forecast for my own life what it's going to be like one day when I stand before God and I'm judged? That's going to happen to, if you're here today, you know Christ as Savior. That's going to happen to you. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, you're going to stand before God one day and be judged. And that's two different judgments. We're judged on two different things. What's going to be my reaction when I stand before God? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 4. So I want to show you this morning, and uh, we'll just turn your Bible there, and we'll stand and read in just a moment. I saw this article. It it came out this week. It just happened this week that a, a family in Perth, Australia, found the world's oldest message in a bottle. A gin bottle washed up on uh, a beach on Wedge Island, and inside the gin bottle, get this, was a 132-year-old message. It was dated June 12, 1886. A lady named Tanya Illman saw the bottle, thought it would make for a neat decoration on her bookcase, and so she picked up the bottle, and then she found a note inside. Now, we know that uh, uh, this happened, it was part of a German experience, uh, 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 experiment that went on for 69 years. Germans back in the day asked seafarers and discoverers to record their recordance and finding date 
and stick the note in the bottle and throw it into the ocean. They were trying to determine tides and those kind of things for shipping lanes. And so part of this 69-year experiment, get this, this bottle found this week, well, the picture's gone, but you saw it up there. That bottle found that week was the first message in a bottle from this experiment found since 1934. They loaned it to the Western Australian Museum, and they confirmed it was the oldest message ever found in a bottle. The curator at the museum said the bottle was thrown from a ship named Paula about 590 miles from Australia in the Indian Ocean. And they can prove it's legitimate because they searched the archive in Germany and found the ship Paula's original meteorological journal and there was an entry for June 12, 1886 made by the captain recording a bottle thrown overboard and the dates and coordinates correspond exactly with those that were on the message in the bottle. Get that. This week, we found the oldest message in a bottle ever recorded. How cool is that? But yet what I want to show you this morning is the oldest message in the world. And it was recorded in 1 John chapter 4. What is the oldest message in the world ever recorded? Don't stand yet, but here it is in 1 John chapter 4 verse 16. Right in the middle of the verse, it says, God is love. Now that, that, that amazing truth is not given to us to make us feel good on the inside. It is given to us so that we may know who God is and how we are to operate in the Christian life and how God being love should impact my daily living. So let's see what he says. Let's stand together as we read God's word in honor of reading his word. 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God's and God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Thank you. You may be seated. So let me walk you through those verses and just make three simple observations at the end. When we get in verse number 16, uh, he talks about living and abiding in love. And he says to live in or abide in God is to live in or abide in love. That he, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Here's literally what he's saying that, listen, you cannot be a mean, hateful, selfish cuss and be abiding in God. Like there, there is something to the Christian life that... When God lives in you and you are abiding in God and God is abiding in you, it changes who you are. You may be thinking, well, wait, I'm just naturally an ornery, mean person. Keep your eyes right here. Don't look to your right or to your left. Don't punch anybody in the side. Just look at me. But listen, when, when we are abiding in God, 
When the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, God works that natural, ornery meanness out of us, that lack of kindness out of us. And he says it very plain in verse 16, that God is love and he who loves abides in God and God in him. It is one thing to know and believe in God's love. It's quite another to actually appropriate God's love into your life, abide in love. But then he dives into verse 17 and uses a word called parisia in the Greek. It means boldness. It's a word that John has already used in the book of 1 John to talk about our our boldness when Christ comes again, chapter 2. Our boldness in our prayer life in chapter 3. And he uses again here in verse number 17, speaking of our Christian life. And he begins to talk about the future, the day of judgment that will follow the Lord's return. And here's what he's telling us. That that day, that day of judgment when the Lord returns will be one of shame and terror for the wicked, but, it, but it not for the redeemed people of God. Our confidence is a sign that our love has been made complete. So in verse number 17, he's trying to tell us, hey, you're not like Christ yet, but you are in your conduct in certain ways, but in your character not quite yet. But here's what he's telling us. The more we abide in God, the more our love grows. The more our love grows, get this, the less apprehensive we are about seeing him on judgment day. Verse 17 is really kind of an awesome verse because he's telling us the more we abide in God, listen, the more you you live and walk in the Christian life and grow close to God, the more your confidence is going to grow, get this, on judgment day. That's a little hard to comprehend for us, right? Like, because... I know that sometimes when you start talking about Christ's return and maybe us dying because the Bible said Hebrews 9, 27 is appointed and a man wants to die and after this the judgment. We know that when this world is over, there's a judgment standing before God. And look, none of us probably are sitting around thinking, man, I can't wait till judgment day. Right? But 1 John is telling us in verse 17 that as I abide in Christ, his love for me is developed and matured in my life. So I have boldness when you start thinking about judgment day. I can have boldness in this Christian life. It changes the way I operate on on Sunday through Saturday in the Christian life because the, the love of God is abiding in me. I am abiding in Christ. And the natural byproduct of that is a boldness on the inside to live for Jesus and look forward to his coming. And then he goes on into verse number 18. Man, it's, it's, verse number 18 is it's such a powerful verse. I, 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 can't, I can't unravel it all that I need to say this morning. But the, that opening phrase, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. The reason the believer need not fear is that his relationship between us and God through Christ is based on love and there is no fear. The word fear begins the sentence and thus it's emphatic. Literally John is saying this, I love this translation, fear not is in love. Fear not is in love. That there is this inherent thing that where there is love, there is no fear. And the believer can have full boldness based on the fact, John uses the word phobos there, which is where we get our word phobias from, fear, which can either mean good fear, respect, or or bad fear, uh, uh, dread. And it's that latter type he's talking about, that there should be no dread in the life of the one in whom God dwells. In fact, 
the claim here is that love and fear, get this, are mutually exclusive. That one cannot coexist with the other one. Perfect love drives out fear. A.T. Robertson said when he was defining the word, said it's a powerful imagery the word presents. It literally means to turn out of doors. He is saying here's what love does. Love kicks fear out of the house. Man, what a strong word. Why? How can that be possible? And John goes on to elaborate in verse number 18, because he who, because fear has to do with punishment. The word in New King James is torment, but it, it really means punishment. And here it is probably a reference to eternal punishment. And the point John is making in verse 18, if you fear the Lord, you're not abiding in love. And then verse number 19 is a famous verse in the Bible. We love him because he first loved us. Most uh, people believe the word him has been inserted by translators. In the Greek it says this, we love because he first loved us. The comparison is being made between our love for God and God's love for us. Three things you could say about that. One is our love owes its origin to God's love. We wouldn't know how to love if it wasn't for God. Number two, love is characterized by fear. When there is doubt, it will be returned. We have no fear since the, God's love was prioritized. Let's see if we can make this plain. So you remember when you're a kid in school and you would write somebody a note and you would say, I love you, do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. You remember those notes? And so uh, why didn't you just come right out and say, hey, baby, I love you. As good as I am, I know you got to love me. Let's meet at recess, right? Well, why didn't you write the note that way? Here's why you didn't. Because you were afraid, get this, because you didn't know if they loved you or not. You weren't going to put yourself out there like that until you know if they reciprocated the love. Why? Because it made you fearful. Now, here's what verse 19 is telling us. We love, that means we can love extravagantly, we can love with passion. We can love overabundantly. Why? Because we know God loves us. We don't have to write God a note that says, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. He's already died on the cross to prove he loved for us. And so that's why we can love extravagantly in the Christian life. And affection, number three, can flow, easily flow from a heart filled with gratitude because God has loved us. So what does that mean? What does all those four verses mean? That the proof of growth and maturity in the Christian life, listen, is how you love. Every child of God ought to have a strong love life. You say, well, why can't this be love? Well, it can be, but let me give you three questions to diagnose your love life. Here they are. I'll always give statements this morning, I want to give questions. I want you to do a self-diagnosis as we conclude this sermon series on your own love life. Here, how do you do it? Number one, ask yourself this question. How bold are you? How bold are you? See, John says this. If you are growing in your walk with God, 
If you are abiding in Christ, hey, if your love is getting stronger day by day for Jesus, if, verse number 16 and 17, you are living like Christ in this world, let me tell you what's going to happen. There is going to be a certain boldness about your walk with God. See, if you're abiding in Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen. There is going to be this, this not natural boldness about your life. I'm not talking about you getting bold and you picking yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you, you having a boldness that, that you can work up or you can take a pill for or, or you can get some coaching on. No, it's an, it's, a, it's an unnatural boldness. As a matter of fact, here's what John's trying to tell us. There will be a supernatural boldness about your walk with God. That's what verse number 17 is telling us, that there's going to be this supernatural presence, if you're abiding in Christ, there's going to be this supernatural presence about your Christian life. How do you get that, preacher? Here, here's how. Because you know God loves you. Right? You, you have to stop and let that sink in for just a moment. That you know and believe the God of the universe, hang with me. The God who made the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and you. That God loves you. And so that same God, to use the terminology in verse 16, you are abiding in his presence. You are abiding in his love. And here's what you know. You love God. Let me ask you a question. If God loves you, and you believe that, and you love God, and you know that, then tell me who in the world you ought to be afraid of in this life. See, if you can get a grasp on the love of God for your life, if you can get a grasp on you abiding in Christ, you're not going to be some patsy Christian that's afraid of their own shadow. Now, I'm not saying you're going to walk around with some arrogance. I'm not saying you're going to walk around with pride. I'm not saying you're going to walk around and be conceited, but that with a holy boldness, knowing who is on your side. I was, I was When I was younger, I was a lot smaller, and I know that's an obvious statement, but I mean, I proportionally, I was thinner. I, I, I was so little in grammar school and middle school, literally, if I turned sideways, I disappeared. I was a little, little skinny kid. I was in middle school, seventh grade was middle school for us back then, and we called it junior high, and, and you know, it's kind of, it's nerve-wracking. I, I remember the first day of middle school. As a matter of fact, if you asked me, could you go back and live your life again, what age would you, would you like to start at? I would start after middle school. Like not a great experience in middle school. And I remember I was in middle school. I was this little bitty scrawny kid. I didn't weigh 80 pounds, man. I was just, I just little. I'd grown up but not out yet. And, and I was just all teeth is what I was back then. And so uh, kind of like today. And so uh, um, uh, so I just was a little kid. And, and, and I tried out for football. And I'd got my brains beat out in football. And my dad finally said, hey, 
son, you giving up on that? Because, you know, I did. I gave up on it. And, and, and so I just didn't blossom until it was too late. I didn't turn into this hulkly, manly figure you see before you today. <laughs> it was too late. And uh, I was in seventh grade, and uh, about, about a month into seventh grade, back then you had to go buy lunch tokens every day and get a token for lunch. And there was a bully in, in seventh grade who started picking on me. Now, let me put things in perspective. You ever met the guy, could have been you, I don't know. You ever met the guy that by the time he's in seventh grade had a full beard already? You ever met that guy? <laughs> that was the guy. I mean, he had a beard in seventh grade. I think he'd failed a couple of grades maybe, but, you know, he, he just, you know, just bad circumstances at home, I guess. But he started bullying me, and so he started meeting me and demanded I take away, he demanded I give him my lunch money every day. This is a true story. And uh, I stood up to him once, and then I started giving him my lunch money, and I started trying to dodge him, you know. I'm like trying to get around him. He would hunt me down. I'd put my lunch money in my shoe. He'd come shake it out of me. I mean, this guy was, he spoke with a bass voice in seventh grade. He'd have been through puberty years ago. You know, big, big fella. He was a lineman on the football team, had a beard going on. I mean, I was terrified of this kid. And he, 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 I'd watched him just obliterate some people before in fist fights. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, just my best path is avoidance. And so I tried to avoid him. But, man, just about every day he'd take me and take my lunch money away from me. And uh, uh, it's pretty brutal to me. And I thought, man, I, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm not careful. This is gonna, he's going to follow me around wherever I go. He's going to follow me to college and get married. He's going to be beating me up. This is going to be rough. And a bunch of us were in the gym one day. And I didn't know. I thought I was the only kid he was beating up. And taking money, and there's about five or six of us, some of them a lot bigger than me. We got to talking because all of us were getting skinnier because we weren't eating lunch during the day. So it was like during, you know, lunch, we're in the gym, and we're not eating. Why are you not eating? Why are you not eating? They said, well, this guy's taking my money. Mine too. And come to find out, there were about a half a dozen of us that were being robbed every day. None of us had beards, but we decided to man up a little bit. And we marched right over to him in the gym. Now, before my plan had been avoidance, this time there were about a half a dozen of us that walked up to him. And we, we went up to him and, and we said, uh, hey, no more. You're not, you're not taking my lunch money anymore. And I, I, was like, I, was, I was like this, yeah, you're not getting my lunch money anymore. We're tired of this. You say, well, what made you so bold? Here's what made me so bold. I had backup. I, I had a whole group of people on my side. And I want to tell you this, individually, not a one of us had stood up to him because we thought we were the only ones. But when you put us all together, all of a sudden we knew, hey, four of us may die, but six of us can take this guy. And listen. I don't want to throw you back in middle school too much, but when you are abiding in Christ, the reason you have boldness is this. You know God is on your side. You know God can beat up the bully. Listen, Elijah, when he stood on Mount Carmel, had the boldness to call fire down from heaven. Why? He knew God was on his side. Daniel had the boldness to go in and pray, even though he knew he was going to be thrown in a lion's den. Why? God was on his side. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bend the knee. Why? They knew God was on their side. The apostles refused to shut up and quit preaching the gospel. Why? They knew 
you, God was on their side. In Acts chapter 4, they even got on their knees and they said, God, give us boldness. And here's what Romans 8.31 says. What then shall we say to these things? Get this. If God be for us, finish it for me. Who can be against us? And I want to tell you, when you are abiding in the love of Christ, it, it, it can't be love if you don't have a boldness about your life. Listen to me. You ought to witness with a bold edge knowing who is on your side and who loves you. You ought to give. Listen, when the offering plates pass, don't give with fear of, am I going to starve because I tithe? Am I going to starve because I get to missions? No, God is on your side. You ought to worship with boldness. You ought to serve with boldness. You ought to live with a bold edge knowing this, God is on your side. That's what verse 17 tells us. So here's how you diagnose your Christian life. How bold are you in the Christian life? Ah, God didn't save us so we could always be running from the enemy. God saved us, and here's what he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's a defensive language. That is a picture of us charging as a church the gates of hell. Doesn't say the armies of hell won't prevail. It says the gates. It means we've already destroyed the armies and we're headed for the core. How could we do that? Here's how we, we know God loves us. You know, I'll be honest, you can diagnose yourself. How bold are you? You know about your walk with God today by the amount of boldness you have in your Christian life. Let me give you a second question you've got to ask yourself. And Number two, how afraid are you? See, the second question to diagnose your love life is how afraid are you? Here is what he says in verse 18. If you are abiding in the love of God, I love this, fear will not exist. doesn't say you'll never be afraid, but it is a verse that says constant terror. Specifically, terror of seeing God on the day of judgment. And so here's what he's saying. If you are afraid, listen, don't miss this. If you are afraid of meeting God, something isn't right about your love life. If you're afraid of meeting God, something isn't right about your walk with God. Because here's the deal. If you are saved by grace... And by that I mean you're, you're not trying to work your way to heaven. You're not trying to earn your way to heaven. You're not trying to be good enough to get to heaven. If you have been saved by grace, if you know that your sins have been forgiven, and the Bible tells us that if you know Christ, your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, it means they can never be found. If you're walking with God daily and, and doing what John says, abiding in the love of God, Seeing the God who loves you and the God you love will bring joy to your heart, not terror. Because here's what John's trying to tell us. How can there be fear when you are meeting someone who loves you and someone you love? You know, I, I travel a lot for, for living and, and uh, uh, I fly in out of Chattanooga Airport and, and uh, I travel so much my wife doesn't come see me off or She's not standing there waiting on me. I do it too much to do that. It's not worth it. I only live 
15 or 20 minutes from the airport, so she just went home. But I've been gone for a long week. Last week is in week four. I was in Las Vegas for three or four days, and that's just a long, tiring time. And I was so busy, couldn't even call a whole lot. Just time difference. And I, I pull back up. Man, I get off that plane. I land. And I pull up in my driveway. I'm not out in the driveway, wringing my hands. Oh God, Sherry's in the house. Oh my gosh, I'm so afraid to go in. I'm not out in the driveway with the garage door short, got my finger one inch from the button going, I can't do it, I can't do it. Going back to Las Vegas, it would be a crazy reaction. Why? Because I know she loves me. And I love her. Listen, I pull in our driveway on two wheels. I'm hitting the garage button, door button, three miles before I get home trying to have the thing open when I get there. Because I know when that door opens up and I pull my truck in the garage, last time I got back from Las Vegas, I'm pulling in the garage and she is standing on the porch, uh, on the steps in the garage with a great big smile on her face and supper cooking in the kitchen. Listen, there is nothing about that I'm dreading. There is no fear in my return home. Why? Because I know that I love her and I know she loves me. Well, Jesus is coming back from a long trip one day. What's going through your mind? We may be going to meet him sooner through death. You okay with that? Does the thought of seeing God excite you? Or does it terrify you? If you're afraid... It's a love life problem. If you're afraid, you've got to go back and begin to abide in Christ. You've got to go back and do uh, verse 16 and understand God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You have got to walk with God. You have got to get to know God. You have got to learn him. And when you begin to abide in Christ, that fear of seeing him on the inside begins to subside. The early church made an impact in the world. And here's why. Non-believers said Christians died differently. Why? Because they were not afraid of meeting the God who loved them and the God they loved. So let me ask you a third question. Diagnose your walk with God. Number three, how loving are you? That's what verse 19 is trying to ask us. We love him. Or simply, we love. How? Because he first loved us. How's your love life? See, we only, we love only because he first showed us how. And get this, close your Bibles, because I I want you to grasp this principle, and if you're not paying close attention, you could miss it. I'm almost done. 
if you are abiding in Christ, there is one thing we know he's teaching us. Get this. If you are walking with God, if you are abiding in the life of Christ, you are living in Christ and in his word and in prayer, if Christ is living in you and you are saved, if he is changing you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the one lesson you know you are going to get is this. Don't miss it. You say, preacher, is God going to teach me about predestination and foreknowledge and propitiation? I don't know, but I know this. He will teach you how to love. If you are abiding in Christ, if you are walking with God, listen, your love life, I'm not talking about husband and wife, boyfriend, Look, that, that's, that's wrapped up in all this. I'm talking about you knowing God loves you, you loving God, you loving the brethren, you not loving the world. Listen, you cannot come away from abiding with Christ and not know how to love. What Jesus tells disciples, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. See, there are just some circumstances that when they happen... You know the outcome. There were so many ways I could illustrate this, but I'm going to go straight to food because that's my favorite. Have any of you ever been to a restaurant in, I guess it's South Alabama, called Lambert's? Anybody ever been to Lambert's? Anybody know what they're famous for? Throwing rolls. We love Lambert's. Every now and then if I'm down that area, I'll drive out of the way to go to Lambert's. Somebody took us there and they pulled that card out with those hot buttery rolls on them and they put that honey or whatever they put on your table and people we're with are like, hold your hand up. And I'm like, why would I hold my hand up? And he said, go and throw food at you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> we're going to do it in my house, but fine, all right. I'm out of Man, they'll zing one of those hot buttery rolls at you. I guess it's not buttered until it's buttered before it goes in the oven, but they'll zing at you. You'll eat it. Man, look. By the, time they're, by the time I'm done with the rolls, I don't care about the menu. And you, you can ask me this. Here's what you know about Lambert's. To this day, I can't tell you anything. I know one thing. I've, I've ate there half a dozen times or more. I know one thing I've ate at Lambert's, and I ate uh, uh, sauerkraut and weenies one time on the menu because I thought, uh, not, that ain't happening in many places, and I'm just going to see how good it is. And I can't tell you if I liked them or didn't. I can't tell you anything, anything I've ever ordered at Lambert's. Here's what I know. I can remember every hot buttery roll thrown my way. <laughs> right? Because that's what they do. That's what they're known for. You don't go there for weenies. You go there for rolls. If you go to Lambert, I, 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 would, I won't even ask you what you ate. Here's what I'll ask you. Did you catch a roll? Because I said, what happens if I drop it? And they said, they'll throw you another one. I'm like, catch. Uh, oops. <laughs> Oops, how this game works. Here's what I know. If you go to Lambert's, here's what I know. I don't know about your trip. I don't know what you were there for. I don't know what you ordered. don't care. I know. If they're not throwing rolls, then the door is not open. And I know this. If you abide in Christ, he threw love at you somewhere along the way. 
If you're abiding in Christ, I don't know what God is working in your life. I don't know what God is trying to work out of your life. I don't know the sins he's trying to deal with in your life. But here's what I know. If you are abiding in Christ for any length of time, he has been teaching you how to love. That's why I can ask, how's your love life? You can't say, oh, God hasn't taught me that lesson on love. Listen, God is love is what the Bible says. I can't hang out with him without learning that. And if you were spending time with Christ, your love life is getting better. It can't be love if your love life isn't improving. Hey, Josh, come on and get a song together. Abiding in Christ means this. Abiding in Christ means this. I'll be loving God better and better. Abiding in Christ means this. I'll be loving the world that he died for, not the things in the world, but the people of the world, the souls that are in the world, I'll be loving them more and more. If I'm abiding in Christ, get this, I'll be loving my church family more and more and more. If I'm abiding in Christ, your wife, my wife's going to notice a better husband. If you're abiding in Christ, your husband's going to notice a better wife. If you're abiding in Christ, your parents are going to notice a better teenager. If you're abiding in Christ, your teenagers are going to notice better parents. On and on and on that list goes. And the question is, how loving are you? Does your family see it growing? Does your church? Does God? That's how you diagnose your walk with God this morning. Three simple questions. How bold are you? Because if I'm living in Christ, listen, there's just going to be a natural holy boldness about my life. How afraid are you? Because if I'm abiding in Christ, I'm not afraid to see Jesus. The, the, the early disciples, get this, called it the blessed hope. To us, it would be a major inconvenience. They couldn't wait to see Jesus. How loving are you? Here's what I know. If you're abiding in Christ, he is teaching you how to love. And I know that because love is the theme of the Bible. In 1 John, it's over and over through it. John wrote about it even in the Gospels. For God so loved the world. So if you're here today, listen, let me, let me speak to you today. If you're here today and you don't know Christ is your Savior, you say, well, how do I know if I'm going to heaven when I die? Listen, if the thoughts of dying terrify you, you may not have given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I mean, ask yourself the question, has there been a time in my life when I trusted Christ and Christ alone? No works, no, nothing else I could do, Christ and Christ alone. If you have, then the Spirit of God has come to live in your heart and the Bible says that the Spirit itself bears witness that we are His. But if you're afraid, afraid, when your mind goes towards eternity, there's a good chance you may not have ever trusted Jesus as Savior. But listen, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner, cannot save yourself, cannot earn your way to heaven, cannot work your way to heaven. I can't, you can't, no one ever has. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day. And C, you've got to call out to him and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. So would you take that connection card that you filled out earlier and would you just stand with me all across the building? 
just grab that connection card and stand up? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And the invitation is very simple. If you're here today and you'd like to become a Christian, you'd like to become a believer in Jesus Christ, you'd like to have that feeling that your eternity is secure, that Christ is in your life and heaven is your eternal home. If you'd like that today, I want to lead you in prayer now. You can be saved right now. You can trust Jesus right now. And if it's your desire to trust Jesus and know that heaven is your home, I want you to pray with me right where you are. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. But if, you, if you'd like to become a Christian, you can pray with me right now. Say something like this. God, I know you love me. And I know that I can't work my way to heaven or earn it anyway. Know that Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day. So I could be saved. So right now, this moment, I invite Jesus Christ into my heart and life to save me, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, while our heads are bowed, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, you, you're, you're, the desire of your heart was to follow Jesus, then you're a born-again Christian right now. And here's what I want you to do. You need to tell somebody, and I want you to tell us by checking. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.